coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. You know, I've seen plenty of them landed in there. You know, they're an amazing fish. They're just, they're hard to get a hook set on. And then they're one of the strongest fish I've ever fished for in, in fresh water. So once you've got it on, they're a big wide bodied fish. They get in the current and, you know, they're, they're famous for getting under snags or around rocks. And like I said, for whatever reason, it's just never worked out for me. I've definitely had the fortune of hooking quite a few of them and, and everything else. That was lane four on the magic of the Payara, Ecuador, Columbia flyouts, and vampire fish today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Super easy way to support this podcast is by sharing out an episode. If you have a favorite in the past or one you've listened to recently, uh, you can click down in your app and click that share button. It's usually a couple of clicks that gets it out there. Copy it over and share the love. Thanks in advance if you had a chance to share the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars. Each bar is 700 calories and fits easily into the pocket of your backpack, vest, or wherever you need. Range bars are made using only the highest quality gluten-free ingredients, and they are the most convenient and compact way to get out the door and on the river. You can support this podcast and a great local company right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash range. That's R-A-N-G-E. Range Meal Bars, a legitimate meal in your pocket. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. You can head over right now to wetflyswing.com slash Daiichi and check out what they have going and check out these killer hooks. That's Daiichi, D-A-I-I-C-H-I. Lane Forer is here to take us into Colombia and Ecuador and describes how to catch peacock bass on the fly. We hear about how he found himself setting up this program in this part of the world and how you might put together a trip in this remote area of your own. We also get into uh, a little bit on the lodges, why they are hard to find and what uh, makes this area so remote and unique. We dig into it all today. This is a wild journey, so let's find out how Lane is making it happen. Here we go. Lane Four. How's it going, Lane? It's all good. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on here. We're going to dig into a little bit on, uh, you know, kind of uh, South America, essentially, kind of the north tip of South America, and we're going to talk about Colombia and uh, probably a little on Ecuador, peacock bass, and and what you have going down there. And this is a part of the world that's uh, that isn't the place that we, you know, all uh, probably everybody's focus. It might not be on everybody's bucket list, but we're going to talk about why that might change here. So, um, so yeah. Before we get into all that, take us back to how you got uh, into fly fishing, really quick. Okay. Um, yeah, so I am originally from uh, the Northeast, grew up outside of Boston. And yeah, just on the coast, summer times were about the water, the ocean. So fishing and sailing and, and everything, everything in between. Um, and then wasn't really a fly fisherman growing up. I did try it a couple times. It was sort of around, but, you know, in the sort of early to mid 90s, it wasn't that popular um, fly fishing assault. And unless you had a family member that was into it or something like that, it wasn't something that everybody did. So 
more grew up a bait fisherman and a gear fisherman. Um, and then went out to, uh, university in American West, uh, Colorado. And that's where I picked it up. That's where fly fishing sort of became my, my hobby of choice. Um, and just kind of fell into it, got, got really lucky, um, working at a fly shop in Boulder. Um, it's, it's no longer around, but it was called Ligus Flies and, uh, Wally Allen, uh, the owner was, you know, just took me, took me under his wing and, you know, showed me how to fish and how to tie flies and the whole spectrum of stuff out there. So that's how I got into it. And then I've, I've been, you know, a, a pretty, pretty addicted fly fisherman ever since, you know, following wherever I'm going, I, I usually travel with the fly rod and, and try to figure something out along the way. Right. What, what's your fly rod of choice to travel? Like what's your travel rod when you're just kind of going somewhere you have no idea what you're going to get into? Uh, usually a seven weight. That's sort of a, you know, a good all around rod. You know, if you, yeah. you want to fish the salt or the fresh or anything like that, it's uh pretty universal. So seven weight. Yeah. What, yeah. what's it? Do you have a brand specifically you like? I don't really, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have any brand associations or anything like that, but I, I fish a TFO a lot. Um, just because it's, it's an easy, easy rod. It's pretty lightweight. Yeah, it's a good rod. Um, then I've also got a, a, uh, I've got a, like most <laughs> fly fishermen, I've got a slew of, uh, of rods, but I've got, you know, some Scott rods, some Sage rods, um, yeah. stuff like that. But the, the TFO seems to be the one that makes it into my bag more often than everything else. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So, so after the, you know, you, the fly shop, like kind of going, getting addicted to it, where did the, when did the South America or how'd all that, how'd you get get down South? Yeah. So <laughs> long story short, my wife is, um, from Ecuador. We met at work about 17 years ago now. And, um, one thing led to another, you know, we started dating, came down here to visit. Um, and I was like, wow, this place is amazing. And then just as, as everything developed, we decided to settle down here, um, instead of in the States from, from, and, uh, yeah, it's been about 15 years that I've been down here now. Uh, and just, just love it. Full-time? Sort of. Um, it's, it's not that long of a story, but I professionally, I've been a uh, marine engineer for the past 15 years, uh, working on boats and traveling a lot. So the way the marine industry works is you work rotationally. Um, I've been doing two months at sea and then two months at home uh, pretty consistently throughout the years with some bigger breaks off of boats and, and dedicating time down here. But uh, yeah, this has been been home base Quito, Ecuador for for that whole time. Gotcha. What's the town you're in? Ecuador. That's where you're on are now. Yeah, yeah. I'm in in Quito, uh, the capital. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, up here in the mountains, beautiful, beautiful town, uh, and the surrounding area is just just stunning. You know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we had uh, uh, Greg, a buddy of mine. We did it Ecuador, kind of a little bit. He's not a, a fisherman, but we just kind of went in to the space. He's out there. He's probably may have run across him out there. He's living out kind of in the jungle part of the time on the beach. Um, and then we had another episode with Javier we did that was uh, kind of Ecuador. There's, I guess, you know, we talked about the lodge. There's some lodge, uh, some, well, I guess this is one of the lodges there. I'll put links to the show notes to those episodes as well. What's the, um, the boat I'm kind of interested in that, um, just kind of quickly on the, the Marine engineering. What, what have you, I mean, boats, like, were you working on like massive boats, any crazy boats? What, what, what's that look like? I was on private yachts. Um, oh, yachts. Okay. So, uh, 
I guess it's all relative, but yeah, some pretty big ones recently, you know, the, the yachting world has gone a little bit crazy. And so yachts have got incredibly large, incredibly fast. So the most recent boats have been in the 90 meter range. So 300 feet. Wow. Um, yeah. Big crews and, and small, small numbers of guests. So super, super high end tourism, um, you know, oh, both, right. both private and charter. Gotcha. Someone wants to go out and just, uh, if you got enough money to go out and get your own 300 foot, uh, sailboat yacht, <laughs> like it's not a sailboat, a yacht, uh, that this is, this is where you could go go to one of these. Yeah. There, I mean, it's, it's a pretty elite group of people that can, that can actually afford this sort of stuff, but, um, it's a, it's a fairly, you know, fairly big, um, business in certain parts of the world, you know, the Caribbean, there's, there's a lot of yachting South Florida. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, Mediterranean, there's a lot. And then recently, you know, because the boats are getting bigger and people want to see more of the world, uh, they're becoming a lot more widespread. Um, so I've been lucky enough to travel a lot of the world, not not the whole world, um, with the caveat that, you know, you're working. So you, you do get to see stuff, you do get to experience it, but a lot of it is through the porthole or through the window. Gotcha. Yeah. So you hop on a boat and you're just basically getting the thing, making sure it's ship shape and then you hop off and they drop you off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we do get some time in, in certain areas and depends on the schedule of the boat, depends on the program, but, uh, you do get to experience a lot, which is, which is one of the benefits of the, uh, of the job. Gotcha. God. Yeah. I can imagine again, I'm kind of fantasizing about you know future trips, but I can imagine, <laughs> you know, hopping, you know, hopping here in a boat, a sailboat would actually be pretty cool, you know, and but whatever and travel down, you know, like let's head, let's head to South America and drop into uh, Colombia or Ecuador. What would that, I mean, would that be a pretty, if people were, you know, would that be a doable thing? People are kind of taking a boat down and hopping in and doing some fishing. You ever see that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a doable thing. Um, it's really not that uh, common at this point, but people do uh, come down to this part of the world. The Galapagos obviously is a yeah. huge destination for cruising. Um, it's a, you know, it's a protected area and there's a lot of regulations around what you can do and how you can fish and everything. So you, you do have to fish with locals and on local boats and everything there, but there's lots of people that do it. Um, Colombia is not too much of a destination uh, for yachts, but some boats have started getting more adventurous and, and cruising that part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's definitely a thing. Uh, like I said, it's, it's not that common at this point, but it's just a question of, you know, when people get that itch to go see something new and somewhere that people haven't been. Exactly. And that's why we're here. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's why I thought this was uh, you know, interesting to chat with you because Colombia and Ecuador, both these places, I mean, what is the, if you look around there, obviously, yeah, the Galapagos, that's huge. Just around that area of kind of South America, Central America, where, where is the most popular destination that say the fly anglers would be coming into within a few, whatever countries in that area? Yeah, I'd say at, at this point, uh, you know, between Ecuador and Colombia, uh, Colombia for sure is a more popular destination. Oh, Colombia is more popular. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, um, uh, fishing and fly fishing is concerned, there's, there's a handful of operations that, that operate out of Colombia. Um, it's sort of got a, a pretty good tradition with sport fishing, um, more nationally than, than internationally. There's a lot of, um, Colombians that are big fishermen, not necessarily fly fishermen, you know, gear fishermen, but they're, they're big into it. And, um, there's a lot of camps that operate in the Eastern part of the country. 
Um, here in Ecuador, there's really not the culture for it. You know, the, the Ecuadorians, for the most part, aren't really fishermen. There's there's a small community here that's really strong, but um, there hasn't been too much of it. Historically, and there hasn't been virtually any tourism here, where Colombia, there's been a lot more. Uh, mm. And then yeah. Central America, I'm not too aware of. You know, I know Costa Rica is big, and I think there's some yeah, operations right, in Panama right. and stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, Col- Colombia is definitely the more popular destination in, in this part of that is uh, South America. Gotcha. So are, and there are some uh, lodges and all that over there in Colombia? Yeah, there, there's a few lodges. Um, what I'm doing and what I'm, the people that I'm working with, they, they run remote camps. So mm. it's the same idea as a lodge. It's just, you know, it's not quite as permanent a structure. They're, they're built up every season on the, you know, on the side of a river. And then yeah. taken down at the end of the season, uh, very low impact. Um, just like Alaska camp, same sort of thing. Same, same idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same idea. Gotcha. So that's the stuff. And we're going to dig into that today. I think is my thought was, is how do we kind of, yeah, show people what Columbia looks like, maybe talk a little peacock bass and then, um, yeah, it sounds like a pretty amazing trip. We're, we're, let's just start there. Where, where is the starting point of somebody, you know, wanted to put something like this together, um, you know, is it, are they booking, you know, talking to you or are there other places? What, what's that look like? Yeah. So, um, like I said, there's, there's a few operations in Colombia. Um, you know, there's some local Colombians that, that operate on a really high level. Uh, there's some, um, international people from the States and from Europe that, you know, act as, as hosts a lot like what I'm doing there. Uh, so there's, there's quite a few options. Um, but all trips, uh, you know, are generally arranged beforehand. There's not really a whole lot of um, DIY stuff in that part of the world. You can do it, but it's, you know, it's very difficult. Um, I've done some of it myself as, as far as scouting and it, it's pretty, it's pretty tricky. So, yeah. um, you know, we operate, like I said, through, through existing camps and um, all of the logistics for, for us and for most of the operations start and stop in Bogota, um, the capital. Mm-hmm. And then, um, typically it's a fly out from Bogota, uh, to one of a couple towns on the sort of the Orinoco, um, drainage. And then from there, you know, there's various ways, either overland or by boat to the camps. Um, and yeah, the, the, the camp that I'm working with is a, uh, indigenous owned and operated camp, which is, um, pretty unique in in this part of the world they're uh very much a a sort of star in that in that sense they're they're doing an amazing job of uh operating um at a high level you know as as far as tourism goes and they have done it for the most part on their own initiative uh the community there they they kind of started it with um one particular member of the community a little bit more connected to the whole tourism world uh so he put it together and then got a lot of help from uh, different operators in Colombia uh, to to get the thing going and get uh, clients in. And I was lucky enough to visit there last year. Um, as to you know, one of the I don't I wasn't the first fly fisherman there, but one of the first. There hasn't been too many um, fly fishermen that have that have been to this part of uh, Colombia. And yeah, this year we're we're running a trip in January, and it's the first fly only group there. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing trip. 
uh, like I said, the logistics are, you know, it's not the easiest trip in the world. You got to get to, get to Bogota and then get to Bogota and then later take a a short flight. It's only about 90 minutes to uh, where we're going. We fly into Puerto Anirida and then it's from there, same day, a five to six hour boat ride up river to the camp. Oh, gotcha. To the camp. Yeah. And now is this, what does this look like if we were talking, um, or what are you guys going to be in January? What are you going to be fishing for? What are the species? Uh, peacocks. Peacocks are the main, the main focus of, of this camp, but we also have payata, um, or also known as vampire fish, you know, the big, yep. the big toothy ones that you've seen pictures of, I'm sure. Um, yep. and then in the river, there's, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different species. There's some catfish, uh, there's some brycon species, uh, a lot of little stuff, um, but the the main attraction at this camp is is the peacock bass. It's uh, this river is it's called Caño Bocón, um, and it's a dark water river, uh, much like the Rio Negro in in Brazil, uh, and it's just the perfect habitat for peacocks, and they they get really really big. <laughs> um, some of the biggest fish ever caught uh, on on traditional tackle have come out of this river. Uh, you know, as far as world records go and things like that, you know, you need to, you need to be fishing in a specific way and have certified scales and everything else to, for those to be recorded. But, um, there's been some fish pushing the 30 pound mark that have, that have Mm. been caught in this river. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a very unique place. It's very special. It's, it's out there. Like I said, the logistics aren't the easiest to get out there, but it's a pretty comfortable trip and the, and the, and the fishing is just amazing. Yeah, and it doesn't sound too much more difficult. I mean, I'm sure it is a little bit, but say again, the the Alaska comparison, you know, you fly into Anchorage and then you fly out to some other area, right? And hop in a boat a lot of times, the same thing. I mean, here, Bogota, fly out, you know, and then take a whatever five-hour boat ride or something, which is definitely a long tour. But what's that look like? So when you fly out, you drop in to the city and then you're getting ready to that boat ride. Take us there. How does that feel? Is that a pretty nice boat ride? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, six, did you say five, was it five hours, six hours? Yeah. Five or six hours. Um, you know, it depends on how loaded the boats are, you know, if they're completely full of gear and people, or if they're a little bit less, you know, they can go a little bit faster, but yeah, it's a good five to six hours. It's a long ride, but especially for the first time people in this part of the world, it's an amazing ride because you're, you know, you're cruising down a tributary of the Orinoco river. Um, and you've got just unbelievable scenery all around you, you know, jungle. How do you spell that? Orinoco? So O-R-I-N-O-C-O, Orinoco. Oh yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Good. So yeah, you're, and it does sound cool. So you're cruising up this river, probably haven't seen a lot of these things. I mean, what are you seeing along like wildlife and plants and stuff along the way? Um, yeah, it's, you know, so the, the, the first part of the trip, um, in this particular trip, it's a big river. Uh, it's called the Nirida River and it's, to, to put a guess, I don't know, 200 to 300 yards wide. Um, you know, it's a big, big river. So, uh, in the river, you know, you can see dolphins, you could see, uh, you know, different types of fish. Uh, and then the bird life is, is pretty amazing. As you get up into Canyo Bocong, um, and continue up the river, it gets a lot smaller. Um, and there you start to see a lot more you know, a lot more wildlife, a lot more birds. Uh, you know, when the, when you're cruising 
going pretty fast and the motors are making a lot of noise. Yeah. You know, you don't scare everything. Yeah. You, you do see some stuff, but you, you tend to see the, the tail end of it, you know, as it's running away. Right. Um, gotcha. But there is a lot of stuff and just being in the jungle, you know, that environment's, it's, it's amazing, especially for people that haven't been there. You know, it's, yeah, it's just, that's it. it's just wild. You know, you, you've got the whole feeling of the heat, the humidity, um, you know, the, the people that you're with, uh, the indigenous guides and everything. It's just, it, it's a very, very different dynamic. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's a, it's a really cool trip. Um, you know, five hours in a boat is five hours in a boat. The, the, <laughs> the boats are, yeah. the boats are comfortable. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, cushion seats and everything else. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, they're, they're the same boats you fish out of. So they're, they're open, um, aluminum style John boats with a, with a ripping 42 stroke mm-hmm. Yamaha on the back. So it's, it's a loud ride, you know, you're going fast, but you know, it's, it's part of it. It's, it's how you get to these camps. So yeah, it's part of the experience. Exactly. And, then, and then when you, when you roll into the camp, what, what's that look like once you get there, that'll be on uh, typically, is this like a week long trip? Yeah. Yeah. It's a seven day trip. Um, five and a half days of fishing. And then, you know, you've got the other sort of day and a half that is logistics on either end of it. Um, and yeah, rolling into the camp, it's, they're very nice tents, uh, pitched on a sand beach, uh, each tent, you know, one tent per angler and you've got beds with mattresses in a little, little nightstand, a fan, uh, a lamp. So it's, it's more like a glamping setup than anything else. Yeah. It's glamping. And then above the tents, you've got, um, you know, a thatched roof, uh, to keep the rain off Oh right, and everything else. And, uh, yeah, then there's a sort of a, a dining area, relaxing area. Um, and then there's the, the camp staff, they've got their, um, sort of quarters in the, the kitchen and everything is set up behind all of it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere as you're cruising up the river. There's, right. there's a few communities, uh, in the lower stretch of the river. And then, um, where we're going, you pass one, one last community, uh, that on the way to camp, you typically stop at, um, and just, yeah. you know, pick up anything that needs to be picked up last minute from the community and you can get out. And if, if you want to walk around or there's always souvenirs yeah. to buy and things like that. Oh, right. 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 Um, and then, you know, you, you shoot up river and there's, there's literally nothing. And then suddenly you come around a bend and there's this beautiful camp set up <laughs> on the, on the bank on a, on a big white sand beach. So it's, yep. uh, it's a pretty, Just roll in. yeah, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty unique experience. Um, yeah. What are the, um, like safety wise, like just, is there anything to be thinking about? We had a, it's interesting because, you know, like we did a Florida episode recently and, and our guest was talking about how the alligators, right. He watched ate somebody's dog and stuff like that. But, you know, so wherever you go, you're always gonna have something. What, what are the safety? Cause Columbia, I guess people right away probably think, you know, yeah, there's some areas where you gotta be worried about stuff. Yeah. I mean, Columbia, you know, it's got the reputation it does, um, for a reason because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was definitely some, some, some dangers, uh, and there's still some dangers in, in certain parts of Colombia, but, uh, Colombia has, has really turned around as far as a tourist destination. So, you know, everything that, that people have heard about and that, you know, you, you see dramatized in TV and movies yep. and everything to some degree that that still does exist. And I could tell you some stories about some places I've been on scouting trips, but you know, where this camp is and where, where I would be comfortable bringing, um, tourists, you know, there's, there's really none of that to worry about. Um, as far as the, like you said, alligators and stuff, eating dogs. Yeah. There's, there's definitely wildlife to be, to be worried about. Um, 
What's the worst one? What's the worst wildlife? Probably snakes. You know, snakes are sort of an, an ever-present thing in, in these parts of the world. Oh, right. What, what, is the, what snake is there? I mean, there's probably a bunch, but what is the one that could maybe kill you? The, the fertile ants is the one that, that you worry about. Fertile ants? Fertile ants is, is okay. what it's called in, in English. We call it, in Spanish, they call it el equis. Um, okay. And, you know, I'm not a herpetologist. I don't know too much about it, but I know, you know, a bite from one of those is pretty nasty. And if you don't get help, um, right. That's, that's one of the things, right. Again, we don't want to pay to dim, dim yeah. pictures, but yeah, <laughs> if you got a six hour boat ride, is there one thing? I mean, again, Alaska, you know, if you're up there that you could hit your button and a helicopter can come get you in, in minutes, right. Even remote, right. What's, is that sort of thing going on there? Yeah. You've got the same sort of, same sort of options. You know, when, when us bringing tourists in, we, we'd get the full, um, insurance packages that, you know, yeah. the, the tourism it's industry offers. Yeah. So it, it is all covered. Um, you know, knock on wood, we'll never have to use it, but yep. you know, you'd rather have it than, <laughs> than not. Yeah. Well, it's a good peace of mind. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's one of those things where, Hey, if you do get bitten by a, this snake, which I, you know, I can't even pronounce, um, <laughs> I'd love to know that, okay, I could be out of there in enough time to get to the hospital. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, if you stick within the camps and, you know, you don't get too adventurous and go, you know, too out into the bush on your own. There's really not too much to worry about. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've been bouncing around the, the tropics now for, like I said, about 15 years and I've seen some, but I've, I've never had any real, you know, close encounters with, with anything yeah. like that. Right. So there you go. So in 15 years, you've never really had a, a super close encounter. No, no, it's, uh, it, you know, you just gotta keep your wits about you, pay attention. Um, especially at night, don't go wandering into the, into the woods, oh, right. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there is some other stuff, um, you know, there's, uh, caimans or, you know, types of alligators and things like yeah. that, but, but they're really not a threat to people. So. Today's episode is sponsored by Trestle, who has earned an exceptional reputation over the past few years in the fly fishing industry due to the popularity of their telescopic fly rod roof racks and statement-making artist series apparel lines. Their latest release for 2023 is the Jerian Universal Bike Rack Packing System, a brand new way to transport your fly fishing and outdoor gear. The Jerion will give any modern bike the ability to bring 30 pounds of gear with its front and rear articulated racks. Whether you ride a full suspension mountain bike, an e-bike, or even a carbon fiber road bike, the Jerion will get you and your fishing gear further faster and have much more fun along the way. I can tell you this has been a big struggle for me. I've been riding my bike, uh, both road bikes and mountain bikes, and had lots of issues over the years packing my gear, whether that's uh, crappy uh, storage on the back or a trailer that's just too big and bulky. So I'm excited to share this packing system, which is going to make it way more convenient and accessible to get out to the places you need to go. You can learn more about how Trestle is transforming the way you access your favorite water, backcountry, hunting zones, and camping spots. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now and be the first on the water and the farthest upstream and away from the crowds. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. So on peacock bass, what what does that look like? Let's t let's start a day in the you know the trip. So we're getting ready to get going. We're at the at the uh, the camp. Um, you know what's our first step? When are we heading out and all that? Yeah, well, it's a you know it's a 
it's a typical fishing day in a in a remote location. So fishing is the priority. You know, you're up super early. Um, Colombians are amazing when it comes to hospitality. So breakfast is, you know, a big spread. Um, as you can imagine, the coffee is great and fresh. <laughs> um, so that's a pretty early start. You know, we like to do breakfast at around five thirty, six in the morning. Um, to get everybody sort of fueled up and then in the boats as early as we can get them in the boats and, and then out. So try to be on the water about six 30 and it, it depends on, on the day as to, to how far you run um, in the camp situated. And there's, there's about 25 kilometers of, of fishable river, both up and down um, with a whole bunch of different lakes, Oxbow lakes that are off the river. And then the river itself fishes great. So, you know, it depends on what, what the clients want to do and, and what everybody's feeling um, on the day. But, you know, you can have a 10-minute boat ride or an hour boat ride in the morning. It's sort of up to up to you. And then, yeah, it's, it's lines in. So peacocks, you know, peacocks are, I like to call them every man's fish of the jungle. They're, they're, such, a, they're such a rewarding fish uh, to fish for because, you know, you don't have to be, you know, an ace caster or tie the best flies or, or any of that. They're, they're really, really responsive, um, especially out in these, you know, these remote areas. So um, there's a couple different ways that uh, we target them. Um, but the, the most common way is, you know, like you bass fish, just yeah. bang the bank. Yeah, they are bass, right? Well, they're, they're not actually bass. They're a cichlid, but, oh, right. you know, in behavior, they're very, very similar to a bass. And in appearance, I mean, they definitely look wild, but the head, I mean, that's definitely a bass looking. Yeah, thing. exactly. So, you know, ecologically speaking, they, they, they're very similar to a bass, just, um, you know, as, as far as the taxonomy of them, they're, they're a completely different, um, group of fishes, but yeah, they, they act very similar. They look very similar. Um, so yeah, you know, pounding the banks in the, in the, in the lakes or in the river itself, um, just cast into to fishy looking spots, whether it's deadfall or little current breaks, or, you know, you see a, see a hump under the water, um, you know, of, of sand or something like that. They're unbelievably aggressive. Uh, you know, so just getting a fly in their vicinity, usually get some sort of response from them, oh, whether right. it's, whether it's them coming and charging it or just flat out destroying it and eating it or, yep. you know, coming to check it out. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to, to fish them. My favorite way to fish them is, is sort of on the flats, if you will. Um, so the, the beach areas of the river, you know, as the river level drops in, in the dry season, when we're out there, you get these sort of like big extensions of, of flats where you can either float uh, in the boats and, and fish from the boats like you would, you know, in the flats somewhere in, in the Caribbean or something like that, mm -hmm. or fish from the sand, um, the beaches. And it's shallow enough that the, the dark water that, that, you know, these rivers are made up of, uh, you can see through it enough. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a strange thing. It's a tea-stained, you know, a tannin-stained water but it's still pretty clear. Um, it's sort of, in, until you really see it, it's hard to describe, but so from the beaches, you get these, um, you know, awesome opportunities to sight fish, uh, these fish. And in the mornings they'll be cruising. Um, 
I don't really know why, but they, they tend to cruise in the real shallow water. So you see these big, big like wakes of these massive fish just cruising in as, as long as you can get up in front of them and, and get a cast in front of them, they're usually gonna, gonna eat. Like I said, they're, they're such a rewarding fish. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's other ways to fish them, uh, deeper water. You can, you can sort of throw sinking lines and heavy flies and dredge through it and things like that. But, um, right. yep. you know, for the most part, it's banging the banks when indoor sight fishing on the, on the yeah. flats of the river. But right. What's that fly look like that you're using if you're trying to get them more towards the top? Uh, fly selection is, is kind of up to the angler. You know, there's a lot of different stuff that, that works. So, you know, I personally coming from the Northeast, I'm a flat wing guy. So I, I tie a lot of flat wing style, um, bait fish. Um, like I said, they're, they're such a rewarding fish that you can really throw anything. What does a flat wing bait fish fly look like? What, what? So a flat wing's a lot like a, like a deceiver pattern. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a bucktail and, and, yeah, um, gotcha. Yeah. Just your typical and feathers. Standard. Yeah. Yeah. You just arrange the, you know, arrange the materials a little bit different, um, for a flat wing and, uh, they move really well in the water, uh, which is why I like them. And, uh, they're super easy to tie, which is another, <laughs> another gotcha. benefit to it. And you're just him and what are you imitating with those things? Just, just small, small bait fish. There's, you know, there's so many different species in these rivers of, of smaller fish, um, from different cichlids to, you know, smaller catfish to, to all sorts of different stuff. So generic sort of patterns, um, green and white or chartreuse and white or, or the, the color, the go-to colors there, but you know, yellow and white or red and yellow bright stuff that that's going to attract the fish, um, is, uh, is mostly what we go with. But, you know, like I said, they're, they're such a rewarding fish that you can really kind of fish whatever you want and you'll, you'll produce fish. The, the green and white seems to be the, the best combo, you know, from, from my experience, but, uh, yeah, they, they love top water as well. You know, so big poppers or big gurglers or, you know, anything that, that makes a lot of noise, they're, they're attracted to noise. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they, they love that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm personally, you know, fly selection isn't the most important thing to me. It's how you fish the fly. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the way I, approach it. So, you know, if you're blind casting to like pound on the banks, make the fly dance, you know, make it look like a panicked little bait fish. Mm -hmm. Um, and that seems to be the, the ticket with, you know, these, these jungle predators in general, but, um, you know, just making that fly look like it's, it's about as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> right. And that, that, that seems to get the, their hackles up and get them, get them moving and attacking. Yeah. But, um, yeah. One fly you might want to check. We just had a recent guest mention the, uh, the jerk changer, you know, when I guess it's one of Blaine's styles, you know, but it does all sorts of crazy stuff just by a normal strip, right? It's just erratic doing circles, but pretty much anything that you can make it move, you just want to make that thing go crazy. Like it's kind of wounded or whatever running. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know, big strips, big pauses, just, you know, make it dance. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and the fish and the fish respond. The surface would be cool. I mean, the popper. So when you, how would you do that? If you're casting a popper, are you doing the same thing, casting that towards the bank or how are you fishing that? Yeah. Uh, for the most part towards the bank, um, the, you know, the poppers are 
fished a little bit more rhythmically, you know, making them pop, making a lot of noise, things like that. Um, you can also just rip them across the water uh, and, and fish will react to that too. Uh, I have actually caught quite a few good size fish on poppers in the middle of lakes, um, which is sort of, you know, it's one of those things you're fishing and maybe in, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you don't, you haven't seen a fish or hadn't got a strike fish in the bank. So you said, well, let me just turn around and throw in the middle of the lake and then boom, you know, you get, you get an attack out in, in the deep water. Um, you know, there's these boats when we're out there, we don't really have, you know, there's, there's not electronics or anything like that. So you don't really know how deep it is other than, you know, sticking a, a stick in the water and figuring out exactly how deep it is, but they're not very deep, you know, probably six to 10 feet for the most part. That's sort of a, an average depth for, for these lakes. So if you're making enough noise on the top and those fish are down deep, they're, they're going to hear it and at least, at least look up, you know, right, right. <laughs> you always hope that they're going to come up and crash it. Gotcha. Um, and what are you guys fishing here? So does this describe the waterway? This there's lakes and rivers or what, what are you? Yeah. So it's, it's a, the river itself is a pretty low gradient um, river. It's, you know, it's sort of a meandering river, lots of big bends and everything. And because of that, and in, in this part of the world, you get uh, oxbow lakes. So they're, they're lakes that used to be part of the river. And then yep. during a, during a flood event, it's either been isolated or, or however it works out. Um, but so the river itself is, is a, is a good sized river, um, between 20 and 40 yards wide, sort of on an average, some parts are probably a little wider, a lot of areas are a little skinnier. And then you've got these lakes. Some of them are really, really big, um, you know, a mile long or, or longer, um, that are sort of set off from, from the main river channel. Some of them are a little tricky to get to. You got to go through some pretty tight stuff to get back in there. And then other ones are, are more open and you've got big openings onto the river. Um, so, you know, like I said, the, the river fishes really well and the lakes fish really well. It's, uh, it's sort of, you know, up to the, up to the angler, what they want to do. Um, and you know what that week is producing, you know, if, if you're seeing more fish in the river, um, the first couple of days and the tendency is to, to continue fishing the river or vice versa, if you're seeing more fish in the, in the lakes, you, you tend to focus on the lakes, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty diverse fishery in, in that sense. And then there's also, um, on this particular river, there's a couple, I don't want to say rapid sections, but there's a couple sections that, that have some good current to them. And then as you go up towards, you know, the sort of the limit of where you can get to in the boats, there's a, a small waterfall that's about, I don't know, 15 feet, depending on the water level, of course. But, um, and it's, they call it a raudal, which is just a, it's just a sort of a cascade thing. And there's some fast water up there. And that's, that's where we focus on the payata fishing, which is, oh, okay, which is a whole different ball game. But um, you can still, still fish, uh, um, peacocks in, in the fast water too. Uh, like I said, you can use some sinking line and, and heavier stuff and get down and. Okay. Is this the, um, El Tuparo national park? No. Um, no. where are you from that? We're South from there. Yeah. You're South. Okay. So, yeah. so the river pretty much kind of takes a, it kind of goes through, I guess, Venezuela and the, the, well, I guess the Arinico, right. And then it goes down. Yeah. Are you on that river where you're talking about here with all these, uh, no. So 
so the Orinoco is is the main river. You know that whole oh, gotcha. the the whole area we call that drains it all. Yeah, Orinoquia. Um, and then for this trip, you don't actually ever get on the Orinoco. We, we oh, fly okay. in, fly into a town called Puerto Inirida, and then you you run up the Inirida River, and then later up the smaller river called Caño Bocón. So we're never actually on the um, the the Orinoco, but the Orinoco is is the drainage. You know, it's that whole that whole area and yep. uh all of the sort of smaller rivers that you know are known for peacock bass in colombia and in venezuela are are tributaries of of the orinoco they're all part of the orinoco drainage gotcha yeah they're all and that's the that drains everything yeah basically the both countries looks like it's the biggest river in that area yeah it's i i don't know the exact stats but it's one of the bigger rivers in in south america gotcha Cool. So, so that's it. So you're fishing kind of some slower water, like oxbows and like the, what are essentially kind of like lakes and, uh, and using like pretty much whatever technique you want for these peacocks. Do you out there, do you, are you getting, uh, ever getting tired of catching them? Is it that sort of thing or what, <laughs> how, 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 what are people saying there? Uh, I have yet to have that problem, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's some days, um, where you can get into a lot of them. Um, you know, it, Going back to fly selection a little bit, I personally um, fish, you know, smaller flies. Like the flat wings are probably in the three to four inch range um, on tied on bigger hooks. And using a smaller fly like that, you actually you get a lot more fish. Um, a lot of smaller fish, but you can also hook into some bigger fish too. So, you know, the the, the size of the fly you want to throw is kind of up to, you know what you're able to throw comfortably, um, you know, on whatever rod you're using. Cause you can throw, I mean, you could throw, you know, a 15 inch streamer out there and, and get responses from big peacocks. They're, they're just, you know, they're that aggressive, but do you want to be throwing a 12 weight and a 15 inch streamer all day? No. Yeah. So yeah, not all day. <laughs> so I, I typically use, you know, I'll fish an eight weight and, and smaller stuff. And, uh, with that smaller stuff, you know, you can get some 20, 30 fish days. Um, you know, they're not yeah. all going to be trophies, but no. And you're getting a mixture of fish. So you're catching, not only you got a chance for a peacock, but on that same fly, you might catch something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of small stuff. Um, and there's a couple different species of peacocks as well. Um, there's the, the Timensis, which is the sort of the famous one from that area that get, those are the ones that get big. Um, mm -hmm. and then there's also the, uh, Orinoco peacock that they um locally call uh mariposas um which they do get big i've never seen one that big i've never seen one over you know probably eight or nine pounds but um the the Temensis do get big they'll get like i said there's been some caught in this river that are pushing the 30 pound mark um so they're they're a, a very very um big aggressive predator and then like I said, there's a, there's a few other species, like a, a couple different brycon species, uh, that'll eat flies as well. Um, a lot of them you'll, you'll get, you know, they'll, they'll hit, um, the, the, actually the piranha or the, the famous for this, they'll hit the fly and then you pull the fly back and suddenly you've got half a fly because they're, you know, they're full of teeth and yeah. they're like, they're like a set of scissors in the water that just chew the end of your fly off. Right. Um, these are the, the, which ones are these? Uh, piranha or yeah, the, the famous piranha fish that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Piranha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what you have. So you actually have the, that 
that species. And then there's what are the other kind of toothy species out there? Um, the I mean the the other big uh, game fish that we're going for is is the the payata or the the vampire fish. And those You're ones right the vampire yeah. And those ones have you know they've got like three to four inch um, canine fangs on the front of them. It's you know it's such a wild fish to see. Um, you can catch payata while you're fishing for peacocks, but um, with a fly rod, you you kind of got to change tactics a little bit um, for those, uh, and definitely put on wire leader because yeah. if if you hook into a big one of those, you're gonna you know you don't have wire on, you're gonna lose it, yeah, um, pretty quick. But uh, yeah, and then like I said, there's a couple different species of catfish. I don't, I, I'm not an expert on on catfish, but there's the 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 sort of the red tailed ones, and then uh, what a lot of people call the pintadillo or the sort of shovel nose leopard looking catfish. God. Yeah. I was thinking, I mean, there's all sorts, I would think, you know, at least me and probably some people would be like, well, vampire fish, peacocks, piranhas. Like if, I, <laughs> if we were to catch those three and nothing else, that would be pretty amazing. Is that a pretty doable, you know, in that week to get into all three of those? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, that'd be it. Yeah, I, I personally have have a very complicated relationship with the payata, the vampire fish, because I've I, I can't even I've lost count of how many I've hooked, but they've all come unbuttoned for one reason or another before I've got it to hand. Yeah, um, which is maybe not a bad thing, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, having to deal with one of those boat side or you know in the in the shallows can be pretty tricky. But um, yeah, you know, I've seen plenty of them landed in there. You know, they're an amazing fish. They're just, they're hard to get a hook set on. And then they're one of the strongest fish I've ever fished for in, in fresh water. So once you've got it on, they're a big wide bodied fish. They get in the current and, you know, they're, they're famous for getting under snags or around rocks. And like I said, for whatever reason, it's just never worked out for me, but, um, I've definitely, definitely had the, the fortune of hooking quite a few of them and, and everything else. But, uh, yeah, between, between myself and the, and the guy I'm working with in Columbia, we've, we've got quite a few to the boat. And, uh, like you said, you know, if you're, if you're coming down and, you know, you, your goal is to get uh, a peacock, a payata and a piranha or a piranha, very, very doable in a week's time. Um, yeah. In a week's time. So that's it. So basically, like we said, we come down, do the uh, five, six hour boat ride, get to camp, hang out, get out the next day and now you're fishing and you got like five of those days to do, um, after you wrap it up, I guess, yeah, same thing, hop in the boat, hop back out, you know, bing, bang, boom, you're back to the States, right? That's, is it pretty, as far as setting this up, is that, is that pretty standard? I mean, and somebody could connect with you, um, to do, you know, to help set this trip up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, getting to Bogota from the States is very easy. There's, yeah. there's plenty of flights. No big deal. Um, from different uh, major airports around the country. And then, yeah, so we, the way we operate um, is, it's a full, full stop shop, you know, so it's a, it's a completely inclusive trip. You know, we don't, we don't expect people coming from the States to have to book their own hotels or their own internal flights or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, we take care of all that. So they pretty much just need to get to, to Bogota and then you know, it, it's up to them to get there a day before or a couple days before. Um, but then early morning, we fly uh, from Bogota to Nirida, and all in all in one day. Uh, that afternoon, get in the boats and shoot up uh, to the camp. And like you said, then there's five full days of fishing, 
which, you know, a lot of people that do destination fishing are used to it, but people that don't do a lot of destination fishing, you know, five days of fishing for 12 to 12 plus hours a day, it, you know, it takes a toll. So one of those things, you know, make sure that you're ready for that sort of thing. Yeah. The people coming down here, are they, um, I, my guess is most of them probably have lots of experience, right? Behind the fly rod. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, it's, it's not one of those destinations for, for a first time angler really. Um, although like I said, the, the peacock bass is a very, very rewarding fish. So it's, it easily could be, you know, it's, it's one of those things, but just because of the logistics involved and everything else, you know, it's, it's more people with experience that, that want to go see a part of the world that, you know, is relatively unknown and, and fish in a fishery that doesn't have a lot of pressure and things like that. Yeah. Same, same sort of attraction as like you're saying as an Alaska fly out trip. Yeah. That, same thing. That sort of crowd. What's that look like for you when, with the logistics? It sounds like you're planning a lot of this stuff. Is that, is that quite a bit of work getting everything together? And I imagine there's some, some bumps along the way on all these. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, operating in this, this part of the world, there's always some bumps, but you know, you just kind of take it in stride. Um, I'm in, in Colombia, I'm working with uh, a good friend of mine whose name is Andreas Trujillo, who's a, uh, friend from Quito. He, he's Colombian, but grew up here and, uh, lived here for a long time. So we've known each other for years, but he's a, um, a very good fly fisherman, but also his profession has been a, a birding guide. So he's a professional, um, tour guide for, for birders, um, which is a really big industry down here, uh, in Ecuador and Colombia. So he and I got together and started talking about, you know, this, this whole fly fishing thing, especially in Colombia is, is, is an amazing thing. And there's not a whole lot of operators that focus on, on just the fly fishing. So he and I put this, this idea together. And over the past couple of years, we've done a bunch of scouting trips, um, together and, and then found this, this particular camp. Hmm. Um, but between he and I, we take care of all the logistics. Um, you know, he's a, he's a licensed guide in Colombia and has a, has a, you know, travel agency, if you will. Um, so, you know, he's got all the connections for us to, to, to work out the, the logistics of the trips with the local airlines and, gotcha. and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key. You got a partner or somebody, yeah, you're, you're helping with all the logistics, which would yeah. be a lot if it was, you're trying to do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it, you know, like I said, doing, doing these sort of adventures, um, DIY is, is really not for the faint of heart. And in some ways it's, it doesn't really exist because no matter what, getting out to these parts of the world, you know, you need support from either the local people or, um, or, or somebody in country just to get yourself set up. If, if you just, you know, as a gringo, try to fly down, even if you do speak fluent Spanish, you know, just showing up somewhere and try to get it all, that's right. Get it all worked out would be a, that's right. would be a difficult one. Yeah. What, what is that? So what's a flight cost down there? Typically just, I guess you're going from Texas or somewhere easy. Uh, it's, you know, it depends uh, right now. Flights are pretty, pretty pricey. Um, oh, they are? The, yeah. The, I mean, I just, in general, the world is, is, is got a little bit yeah crazy after the pandemic with, with prices and things like that. So, you know, you're looking at probably a thousand dollars to 1200 bucks for a flight. Um, you can, you can get them for a lot cheaper. It depends on, you know, when and, and, and where and, and how you set it up, but that's, you know, probably around that maybe 800 bucks. Um, and then our, uh, our tours, like I said, it's, it's a week. Um, and we're, 
charging $3,800. Uh, and that's, like I said, all inclusive. So that gets, that gets everything from the second you land in, in Bogota till the, the moment you fly out of Bogota again. That sounds amazing. I mean, that, that sounds like, uh, and again, going back to the Alaska analogy, you know, if you're to get a trip, a similar thing up there, you know, it probably costs more than that, right. To do, uh, one of those remote camps. I'm just guessing I haven't done that exact, that exact thing, but, um, yeah. So, so you got that. So basically for five, five K, I mean, your flight and the whole thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, pretty affordable trip. Um, you know, the camp, like I said, is incredibly comfortable. Uh, it's, it's nothing fancy, you know, it, it's glamping, um, great food, uh, mm-hmm. you know, comfortable, everything else, but it's not, you know, it's not a four or five star lodge. I don't want to paint yeah. that picture. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And especially people that haven't been to this part of the world, it's a great way to experience it. You know, it's a great yeah. way to see it. And, you know, you're fully immersed in not only the, the, the jungle itself, um, which is an experience all on its own, but this camp being owned and operated by the local indigenous, um, group there, they're, they're called the Puinave. You know, you're, you're amongst, um, all of them. It's, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience and, you know, they're, they're great people. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people are people, so I'm sure there's some assholes in the mix, but I haven't <laughs> met any yet, um, yep. but they're, uh, yeah, they're just, they're great. They're, they're incredibly, um, you know, welcoming and, and everything else. And they've, they've been operating for, I think this will be their six, if not seventh year operating. So they've got, you know, a few years under their belt and, uh, and know the deal. And, you know, it's, it's a very communal community. You know, they, they, they share just about everything. So. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest Euro nymph reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate and you can hold your dead drifts longer without the shoulder burn. This reel is so unique, you may not even recognize it as a fly reel. I had a chance to fish the stinger reel with Jeff on his home river on the Truckee. The biggest thing that I remember is the weight. The weight really stuck out because you can't even barely tell there's a reel. It's essentially kind of like you're holding a rod all day long. I mean, it's that light, and uh, and when you're Euro nymphing, that is a key. And the other big thing I remember from that day was catching uh, a fish on my first cast. Pretty cool to be down in that part of the country and, and have some great success with Jeff. Maverick keeps things simple by offering a Euro nymph product line with essentials you'll need from rod, reel, fly line, and leader system. Euro nymphing doesn't have to be complicated, so let Maverick fly fishing get you started right now. You can learn more by checking out Maverick's YouTube channel for some tips and tutorials. And you can also head over right now to wetflyswing.com slash maverick to check out the good stuff they have going. That's maverick, M-A-V-R-K, wetflyswing.com slash maverick to support this podcast and take a look at one of the most unique and efficient Euronipping setups on the market. Okay, back to the show. You noted the uh, photography at the start. Is that something you're doing uh, kind of on the side or you... um you have any any a couple of photo tips to add here? What, is this more like a phone uh, sort of thing, or are you, are you like a pro photographer? I'm I'm definitely not a pro photographer, but I've I've been into photography for you know for as long as I can remember. You know, from film cameras back in you know however long ago that was to digital stuff. Um, 
so I, I you know, I, I'm pretty crazy. I carry a big, heavy, um, DSLR around with me. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You got the big thing. Yeah. And you know, a, a, a slew of lenses and recently kind of got into the drone thing, um, which I'm still learning. Oh, nice. Are there any drone videos or good photos you'd send us to take a look at some of these, uh, some of these uh, peacock bat or these trips we're talking about? Yeah, for sure. I've got, I've got tons and tons of, um, media, both film and, and video that I can share with you guys. And, uh, you know, you can also see everything on my, my Instagram site or my website. Yeah. What, what's the Instagram again? It's lane for photography. Oh, perfect. I'll put links out to that. And then lane Um, Nice. Well, what, what, well, let's let's get one. Do you got one tip? Just somebody's here, maybe not a super pro, but they want to capture a better, you know, their next trip. They're out in the jungle or wherever. Um, what, what would you tell them to get some good picks here? The best recommendation that I can I can give you is just having your camera ready all the time. Mm. That's yeah. That's like ninety percent of it. Um, and by ready, are you with the SOR? Do you have this thing around your neck at all times, or just in a bag, just sitting there ready to pull out? You know, I. <sighs> I'd like to say I, I have it around my neck all the time, but I, I definitely don't. But I, I do keep it, you know, ready in the boat, lens cap off. Um, if the weather looks questionable, maybe inside a dry bag, but something that's really easy to grab um, and have all the settings ready to go. So, you know, if it's myself that's caught a fish, I can hand it to a friend or hand right. it to the guide and just say, you know, just point and shoot yeah. and, you know, have have your aperture and your exposure settings to to what you think is the best for that situation. And, um, you know, it's digital photography these days, so you don't have to be shy. You know, you just, just fire away, take a ton of photos. Um, hopefully some come out better than others. Uh, obviously with photography, the light is a lot of it. The, the tropics are notoriously difficult for photography, um, just because the light is so harsh. So depending on the time of day, making sure that the, you know, the sun is behind the camera, um, illuminating the subject, not, you know, not vice versa, stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. um, like I said, I'm not a pro, I'm just an enthusiast. Uh, hopefully someday, you know, people start buying my, my pictures. So right. I, can, <laughs> I can call myself a pro, but that's at, right. At this point, uh, I'm just, just an enthusiast. Cool. Cool. Nice. You mentioned the scouting trip at the start story. I'm not sure if you remember what you're talking about there. You said there was a couple of good stories from i guess your scouting columbia was that early on yeah that was so that was um sort of pre-pandemic and then we did one trip during the pandemic um you know without you know i don't want to put any you know bad bad pictures out there of of, of columbia but there's definitely some areas where you know you, you do have to be careful um and one trip we did which was seriously a bare bones trip you know it wasn't wasn't anything uh you know, dangerous as far as being, being in, in areas where there was questionable people operating, but, you know, just being out there completely out there on our own, you know, probably an eight hour drive from, from the nearest town. Uh, and we just literally myself and Andreas and actually my wife and, and his business partner at the time, we just rented two boats and hired two guys and, and went out in the Llanos de Colombia, which are, you know, the, the flatlands of, of Eastern Colombia and, it was a wild trip. You know, we, we were sort of underprepared for it. Um, at that time in that part of the country where we were, the bugs were the worst I have ever seen. So we were just, you know, sort of miserable for a week getting eaten by what kind of bugs, uh, sand flies more than anything, but there were sand flies, mosquitoes, uh, big horse flies. I don't oh, know. Wow. I don't know what 
did it on that particular river. Um, but did you have your, did you have your head nets and all that gear? Oh, we had everything, but still any, any piece of exposed skin at the end of that week was just red, you know, it was just raw. Um, and that, that trip, you know, one of the, the the fishing was pretty good on that trip, but the the logistics of everything and then, you know, the bugs, it sort of turned us off that, that destination. Um, but one of the, just one story from that trip, we were, uh, back at camp after a day of fishing and one of the guys that we had hired, um, you know, to run the boats for us. He was like, oh, I'm just going to shoot down river a little ways and, and fish for some piranha uh, for dinner. Yeah. So so he takes off and then like an hour later, it was getting dark or getting getting darker. And he comes back walking and he was like, I got some bad news. We're like, oh, what happened? Like, well, the motor, you know, I hit a log and the, the motor jumped off the, the back of the boat and it fell into the river. Oh, we're, we're like, you got to be kidding me. So for however it worked out, I, I couldn't explain this, but his idea was, okay, there's, there's a road access to the river about 45 minutes up river by boat. So we went there um, and by happen chance, there was a group of people there that had masks and snorkels and hooks to go look for things in the river. Hmm. It was, you know, it was the luckiest thing that I can ever, you know, really you know, I, I can't compare it to anything else, but anyway, so we grabbed this, this guy and we're like, can you give us a hand? We lost a motor. And he was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So he came down and you know, for the, I think we gave him some snacks. I can't even remember. We didn't, <laughs> he wouldn't accept any money, but he was like, right. Oh yeah. And it's one of these, these old, um, Yamaha Enduro 25 horsepower. So pulled it out of the river, stuck it back in the back of the boat, pulled the spark plugs out of it. Yep. Few pulls cleared the water, spark plugs back in and, there you fire, go. Fire it up, and that was it. And there was no Amazing. problems. <laughs> That's it. And that is that older. I guess I wonder if you could do that to a, a motor these days, right? Newer. I think you know Yamaha is still making that that yeah. model. It's, yeah. it's probably a little bit more modern, but same deal. You just same deal. Out the spark plugs. Yeah, that's true. My my dad had an old uh, Jeep uh, Wagoneer back in the day, and he um, at the boat ramp, he's putting in the drift boat, and the e brake went or what something went out, and it sunk the boat. <laughs> down to the bottom like literally the headlights were beaming this is in the dishes <laughs> the headlights were shining out of the water right early in the morning and uh, but they pulled that thing out and you know the same thing they cleared it out right did whatever cleaned the spark plugs and that thing drove for like 20 more years yeah man old old technology is awesome like that yeah so i'm not sure that's the goal i'm not sure if these new cars they could handle that but um Nice. Well, so I guess you've had some uh, experiences. It sounds like you've got this one dialed in pretty well now. You got the the local crew. We Ecuador is something we didn't dive into, but just give us a quick snippet on Ecuador. Like if we were if somebody wanted to go there, like I said, we talked about the lodge over there. But are you doing a similar thing where it's more of a kind of river camps you're setting up there? Yeah. Well, yes and no. Uh, it depends. So so Ecuador, you know, is is one of the most diverse countries in. in in the world, um, especially down in this, this part of the world. So, you know, as far as the fishing goes, you can fish for just about anything you want. We've got, you know, the stuff in the salt from the Galapagos that, that you've talked about before mm-hmm. the, the Marlin fishing there. Then we've got great, um, jigging, uh, for stuff off the coast here. And then there's uh rooster fish actually yeah, roosters. Uh, that run the coast. And, uh, I've been trying to get those figured out on the fly. I, I've, I've managed to get a couple to eat over the years, but they haven't, um, 
they haven't come together. So uh, there's that, and then there's uh, you know freshwater stuff uh, from the the rivers that come down out of the mountains that go towards the coast. There's uh, you know snook and corvina that live in those rivers, and then as you get further up, there's um, fish that are very similar to what they fish for in Central America, the machaca. Um, and then we've actually got a river corvina that that will run almost you know tens of kilometers and pretty high elevation up into those rivers too, which is a really unique fish that there hasn't been too many studies on. And nobody knows too much about it. Um, and then trout in the mountains and then the Amazon basin where we've got uh, our own species of golden Dorado. Um, we've got peacock bass, uh, arapaima, of course. And, um, you know, there's a slew of other species in, in the Amazon that, you know, you can, you can fish for, but so the, my, what I'm trying to do down here, I'm, I'm currently getting, um, all permissions sort of squared away. Ecuador's a little bit more complicated as far as the permissions go. Um, but we could do a whole other episode on that. So we won't yeah. delve, delve into it. Right. Um, but, uh, more custom catered trips, you know, so whatever people want to do, the, the beauty of Ecuador is that you can do, you know, so much in such a short period of time. Um, so if somebody wants to come down for a week or two weeks and fish, you know, the salt, the jungle trout and anything in between, you know, we can fit it all in. Um, and that's kind of what the, the aim is for, for Ecuador is to sort of work on the variety of, of fishes versus concentrating on, on one thing. Um, of course yeah. we can, we can cater trips to, yeah but getting the whole experience. It seems to me that is the big thing about it. You go down there, you know, yeah, for sure. Like we like we were saying peacocks and you have these few species, but man, if you went down there and just didn't even get one of those or, you know what I mean? Maybe got something else. It's still, I'd imagine would be pretty, pretty amazing trip, right? Just the, the whole experience that that's as equal of a part as the fishing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Ecuador is, is such a visually beautiful place. Um, Colombia is as well. Um, yeah, it's, uh, what's the difference? Ecuador, Colombia, what is the biggest difference like with the physical habitat out there? The difference is the size. I mean, Colombia is a huge, huge country. Um, I don't even know what to compare it to, uh, you know, as far as other countries or, or land masses, but it's probably five it's times five times the size of Ecuador. Um, you know, it's it's really, really big. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, the distances involved in... in fishing a lot of the different parts of Colombia because Colombia has great variety as well, but the logistics and distances are, are massive. So it's not, it's not a very convenient thing, um, to do, you know, in, in a short trip. Um, Colombia has also got excellent saltwater fishing and then Bahia Solano. Uh, I've personally never been there, but my, um, my business partner has been there a bunch and I know a lot of people that have fished there and they just say, it's like the, it's like, the holy grail of saltwater fishing. It's just this un, undisturbed, um, you know, beautiful coastal ecosystem where you've got, you know, marlin to roosters to everything in between. To, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of good um, saltwater fishing and variety of fishing in Colombia, but it, it's just, it's such a big country that the logistics of doing it in a, in a short period are, are complicated where Ecuador, you know, if you fly into Quito, everything's close, you know, everything's a couple hour drive or, you know, you can, we can arrange, um, 
flights that are you know 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get to the different areas and, and things like that so it's all very 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 accessible um and that's that's the you know the really unique thing about ecuador is being able to to access so much in a short amount of time in a in a small country yeah right because you're right there yeah you're in the quito is like right on the west side of the or the mountains but you could probably hop on and go towards the ocean or the other side right but um yeah colombia is gigantic i mean just roughly i'm just looking at a map i mean it's it's a little it's bigger than texas but it might be similar to the size of texas right yeah something like that i mean you know to put it in perspective if you were to if you were able to drive to some of the places that were that were going for peacocks you know it would take two to three days oh wow from from bogota oh it would. Uh, yeah so it's 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 far but you're not able to really the, the road system isn't uh, you can't do a lot of this stuff by road no we're well we're where the place i've been describing kenya bokong is not accessible by road um at all and even inirida where we fly into is not accessible by by road from bogota there's probably some road systems you know remote road systems that get there from other big towns um sort of on the orinoco I'm I'm not familiar with it enough, but for the most part, it's a it's a port town on on the river with an airport. And then some of the other areas in in the northern uh, part of eastern Colombia, um, there's a town called Puerto Cariño, which is where a lot of sport fishing, you know, a lot of peacock bass fishing, sort of logistics operate through there. Um, that is accessible by road, but that you know it's a couple days drive from from Bogota or from Medellin, which is another, you know, one of, one of the main, yeah, the main, main cities, cities. Yeah. On the peacocks, I guess just taken out of here with peacock bass. So, you know, again, there's all these other species as far as like resources or, you know, like have, how have you learned? Have you kind of like just done the Google search or there other resources? If somebody wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to find out, okay, what something we didn't cover today about these, this species or others, where, where would you send them? Um, yeah, I mean the, the internet these days, like you said, Google is a great resource. Um, obviously, you need to filter through a lot of it, um, but there's there's a ton of information available, um, you know, online, YouTube videos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like I said, there's a there's a pretty big network of of people that are fishing and operating in Colombia, so there's a lot of information on on peacock bass fishing there. Brazil's been a traditional place for peacock bass fishing for for years so there's a ton of information available. Oh, right. yeah yeah um and because you know there's peacock bass uh available sort of in some unique isolated places in the u.s and, and around the world as well but in, in south florida you know peacock bass have been introduced so there's there's quite a bit of literature on on peacock bass fishing from that you know in in english and accessible to most you know most americans or most english-speaking yeah. people um, I believe they've been introduced to Hawaii as well and a mm. few lakes out there. So there you go. There you go, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of resources. Um, I've been lucky enough that, you know, being down here, I've just kind of get thrown into it and, and figured a lot of it out on my own. I would say, you know, it, I've definitely not been doing this in a vacuum. There's been other people involved and there's a lot of other influences on, on, on what I'm doing and, and how I'm doing it. But yeah, the, the peacock bass fishing, particularly in Ecuador, you know, there's there's really not a lot of information, and there's not a not a lot of um, accessible, yeah, information on on any of it. But 
going back to what I said, you know, before peacock bass are such an, such a great fish because they're so responsive to, to flies or to lures or, you know, to whatever you're throwing out there that it's, they're a fairly, fairly easy fish to figure out if you can just get to where they're at. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're very rewarding. They're very, very accepting, <laughs> I guess is the turret of, of, of flies and artificial. So they're, they're a great, a great fish to, to fish for. We'll leave it at that and we'll, I'll send, uh, we'll send everybody out. Like we said, lane4.com if they want to follow up with you and, or check out some of your stuff on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, this sounds like a pretty amazing trip. I definitely would love to get down there and, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll keep in touch with you and see how uh, it all looks. But uh, thanks for all the time today, Lane. Yeah, much appreciated. It's my pleasure. So there it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 410. 410. It's the best place to go and follow up on this episode. Uh, find out and dig into some of the resources we connected with. Maybe check out a video or two and see what else we have going at, at our blog. Quick listeners, shout out before we get out of here. Uh, Tim Miller. Tim from Sonora, California. want to thank Tim for supporting this podcast and for being a listener. And if you want to get a quick shout out on this podcast anytime, you can just connect with me. Send me an email. That's the best way. And let me know uh, what uh, podcast uh, episodes you're liking or maybe what you'd like to hear. Quick and easy way, Dave at wetflyswing.com. Hope to hear from you soon. Quick reminder, next week we're launching into the Euro Nymphing giveaway event. This is going to be our chance to uh, share uh, some of the resources and uh, give you a chance to win this magical trip uh, over to fish one of the great rivers and learn from some of the greatest Euro Nymphers uh, in this country. We're going to have a whole week on digging into some of that content. So if you've been excited to learn more about it, find out what we have going. You can check that out right now next week. Stay tuned for that. All right. If you haven't connected with me, uh, it's time. If we haven't talked before, uh, give a quick shout out uh, on social or send me an email anytime. Uh, and I am going to get out of here. It is uh, not late, not super late yet, but I am going to wish you a good evening, a good morning or good afternoon wherever you're coming from in the world. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.